0: From app.com, it's time to talk college hoops in the Garden State. Welcome to Jersey Jump Shot. That's right. Welcome into another episode of Jersey Jump Shot, talking college hoops in the Garden State, episode nine on the season. Ryan Ross here with Jerry Carino, Steve Edelson, and Chris Eisman recapping another week of college hoops in New Jersey. Seton Hall, they split with a loss at UConn, a win at DePaul. Rutgers, they win, at Ill- or they win against Illinois. They finally lose against a ranked opponent at Purdue, but an impressive run for the Knights. Mammoth they win over Ryder. Princeton with two wins over Brown and Yale. St. Peter's goes loss, win, loss last week. But the big story, what everyone's talking about in college basketball, a big story in the Big Ten as well, and it involves Rutgers' next two opponents, of course, Michigan and Wisconsin. Getting into it at the end of the game on Sunday, Jawan Howard throwing a punch, slap, whatever you want to call it, at an assistant of Wisconsin. Uh, Jawan Howard saying he was unhappy with Wisconsin taking a late timeout. Wisconsin takes the timeout in a game that's more or less decided because Michigan is full court pressing. It's a whole he said, he said, back and forth thing. One thing we do know. Suspensions, most likely on the way, but a lot to get into with this. Jerry, I know you want to start off with uh, with this incident with Jawan Howard and, and Greg Gard from Wisconsin getting into it at the end of the game. A lot to unpack here.
1: First of all, it's terrible for the sport, okay? It's very, very bad that the sport finally has a spotlight. You know, football, the NFL is over. The Olympics are over. College basketball owns the next, you know, five or six weeks of the calendar, and all anybody's talking about is a coach hitting another coach upside the head. Ryan, I don't want to hear he said, he said, forget about that. Only one guy struck another man. Let me spell this out plainly. Juwan Howard is a jerk. He is a jerk. And I'm going to give you the history. Okay. He got ejected from a game in last year's big 10 tournament after he tried to fight Maryland coach Mark Turgeon during a timeout. Mark Turgeon, who is famously laconic and laid back. Reportedly, according to Maryland reporters, he threatened to kill Turgeon, and he charged. As we all saw, he charged at the Maryland bench. Okay, so b- awful behavior. At the end of the Rutgers game last month, with RU you up ten in the final seconds, game was in the ice box, Michigan Center. Hunter Dickinson cheap shotted Rutgers guard Kayla McConnell with a moving screen, knocking him down. And afterwards, there was a near brawl in the handshake line. Okay, it was not the brawl wasn't on. Jawan Howard, okay? He, he was trying to break it up. But this is Howard's team. This is the tone he sets. I have never seen Rutgers in six years under Steve Pike' I'll have a problem in a handshake line. They had a problem with Jawan Howard's Michigan team. Howard declined to credit Rutgers or Seton Hall after Michigan's losses to them this season. That's standard operating procedure for a losing coach. Howard is a jerk. He did not apologize for his behavior yesterday, which was stunning He went through a whole press conference defending himself. You struck another coach upside the head. Jawan Howard is a jerk, and he's unfit to coach college basketball. Now, do I think Michigan's going to fire him? No. Okay, no. But what are they going to do? The Big Ten, do you trust the Big Ten? Milk Toast Commissioner Kevin Warren, what's he going to do? There's a two-game suspension maximum written in the Big Ten rules It's up to Michigan to punish Howard further, essentially. The Big Ten likes to hold their nose in the air. We're better than you. We're the Big Ten. Well, you know what? We're going to find out how much better you are than everybody else, you and Michigan, because Howard needs to not coach again this season. Rest of the regular season, rest of the postseason, Jawan Howard has no place on the sideline this year. Let's send a message that I don't care who grabbed whose arm, who said what words, Jawan Howard struck a coach upside the head in a handshake line,
2: banish this clown for the rest of the season. Well, it it is amazing when you look at the video of that and, and how that all went down. First off on this specific incident. Okay. Coaches love to say iron sharpens iron, right? Those kids who are your practice players, who are busting their butt in practice every day. That's what makes your team better, all right? And when those kids finally get in the game, they deserve to be coached too, you know? So hats off to Greg Gard, right? He saw the situation. He called a timeout to get his kids organized to get that game over with. And if Jawan Howard couldn't understand that, then he is really part of the problem here. But, you know, and again, I think this now brings us to the larger conversation of should there be a handshake line? And listen, this was the high-profile incident of it, but this happens all the time, right? It happened earlier last week with Oral Roberts in North Dakota State. You know, I remember the Xavier St. John's thing a couple of years ago. This this happens more than you think about, and there's a lot to it. Should it happen? Should it not happen? I've had a couple of coaches say to me this year that part of the problem now is what's being said during a game from player to player, and some coaches condone it. They, they don't do anything about it. Officials don't do anything about it. And now you're asking a 19-year-old kid to get in line after, for the last 40 minutes, another kid's been in his grill talking about his family, and now you got to shake his hand? There's some problems here, and, and some of it deals with stuff that's going on on the court, but I think it all ties into this broader issue of, should there be a handshake line at the end of these games?
1: Steve, to me, and I I hear what you're saying, and I've heard some similar stuff from coaches, but to me, if we abolish the handshake line, we're giving in to that kind of behavior. We're saying, you know what? Players are just going to be jerks. Coaches are going to be jerks, and we got to live with it. And this this is college sports. the, The word college comes from collegial. And, you know, if you can't, if you can't shake hands after a college basketball game, you shouldn't be in college basketball. You shouldn't be coaching college basketball if you can't handle this simple act of sportsmanship. I like the the handshake line. I think sportsmanship is important, but more importantly, and I hear what you're saying, Steve, and there are issues there for sure. More impo- I just don't want to give in to that type of behavior by saying, "You know what? Let's just let everybody be jerks and 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 not worry about the sportsmanship component." That does bother me to an extent. So I see what you're saying, but to, if you you lose, you lose. Something you are waving the white flag on sportsmanship you know, and college sports if you give this up.
2: And I'm not saying you should eliminate the handshake line, but I'm saying there are things that need to be cleaned up in the game to make this right. a better situation in the post game, And that's up to the coaches in a lot of cases being the adults here and getting some stuff under control. Probably the
1: officials too, like you alluded to, the officials could probably do something about that too. I mean, they can they can impose fouls and texts for people cursing and mouthing off and saying stuff that's way out of line. That's a good point.
0: And Chris, these are these are Rutgers' next two opponents. When you see them going out at this like this, what are your what's your reaction to this this scuffle, this fight yesterday?
3: Well, listen, I mean, these next two games are already going to be interesting, considering the state Rutgers is in, and obviously they've been playing well. They lost yesterday to Purdue, but there's no shame in that. Now Michigan's probably going to be pretty shorthanded again, you know, going into, um, you know, this game. And and Michigan was shorthanded the last time that Rutgers went up against them and beat them. I want to go back to something that Jerry said, because I thought it was interesting and, and spot on when he said that Juwan Howard really didn't compliment Rutgers at all after that last win. And it was it was kind of baffling at the time, especially even more so now when you look at the way that other coaches have reacted to Rutgers lately. Like Whether it was Tom Izzo, Brad Underwood last night, Matt Painter, very, very complimentary of the team and Steve Peichel and the way that they've played. So it really that really kind of stood out. I agree with Jerry. I thought that was very bizarre back when he didn't like refuse to give any credit to Rutgers, really. So but the next two games is certainly going to be interesting. Um I I am with Jerry on this. I don't think you can eliminate the handshake line, by the way. I think I agree with what he said. If you can't handle that, then you need to grow up and then find another way to spend your time.
0: Yeah, and and I agree with Steve too. You need to police it a little bit better in-game when you hear players going back and forth. If it's normal trash talk, sure. But there's there's of course a line that can be crossed, and oftentimes when it is crossed, we see what happened yesterday. Between players, between coaches, whatever it might be. But when it boils down to it, you can't have your head basketball coach, the face of your program, a program like Michigan, not only in basketball, but in collegiate sports, one of the most visible programs in all of college athletics across multiple sports. A guy who's been associated with Michigan for decades as a player in the NBA representing Michigan, now as a coach. He had him as a number one seed last year. He just signed a five year extension, so I don't think he's going anywhere. He will be suspended. Who knows for how long? But you cannot, you cannot have your coach throwing slaps, punches, strikes, whatever it might be, at the end of a
1: game. Let's look at where Michigan stands now, because I think there's this feeling, there's this general feeling that Michigan is cooked, and I don't think they are cooked. I mean, I don't think they're finished by any means. They're they're right on the bubble. They're right in the mix for an NCAA tournament berth. But you know, Jawan Howard's not going to coach against Rutgers on on Wednesday. But I don't think that's a big loss. I mean, I'm, he's a, he's a decent coach. He's okay. Uh, but the guy who is his right-hand man, Phil Martelli, is uh, is extremely comp- accomplished college coach at St. Joe's. I mean, he got St. Joe's to, to an Elite Eight. So the, the guy's a really good coach. So I don't think – I think Michigan actually gains in the X's and O's strategic department by having Phil Martelli run the team on Wednesday. Uh, wh- what players from Michigan will be unavailable, suspended? Well, so probably at least one uh, – Musa Debate, he threw a punch. He's a starting forward, averages nine points and five rebounds a game. I, I don't think he'll be in the Rutgers game. I think there was a reserve player for Michigan who was also getting getting rough in that. He might be they might lose two players, a starter and a reserve. Michigan's still gonna put a talented team on the floor with Hunter Dickinson and Eli Brooks leading the way. Now those those guys could beat Rutgers. I mean, it, it's it's not gonna walk in there and win that game because Jawan Howard and Musa Debate are not there. So I, I, don't, I don't agree with this narrative. Now, we don't know how they're going to psychologically handle the, all the spotlight on them. It could be one of two ways. They could collapse like a house of cards, or they could fight back like an animal trapped in a corner. So we don't know what you're going to get from Michigan. I, I do suspect that, like, as with Purdue, you know, w- Purdue had that like, Rutgers game, the rematch circled on a calendar because the Rutgers beat them the first time. Michigan's going to have that game circled for revenge. Now, there's a lot of circumstances here. But I don't think it's an easy – Win for Rutgers by any means, and also there's been some talk. Like, should Greg Gard be suspended? The Wisconsin coach. I don't think he should be. I mean, would you, if Jawan Howard hadn't slapped somebody in the head, would you have suspended Greg Gard for grabbing Jawan Howard's arm and a handshake line? No, you wouldn't have. So you're going to punish Jawan Howard for uh, Greg Gard for what Jawan Howard did. And by the way, Jawan Howard didn't hit Greg Gard. He hit one of Greg Gard's assistants. So I don't see. Look, Greg, you shouldn't be grabbing the guy in the arm. It's bad etiquette. But, like, suspending suspending him, I don't see that. It won't matter anyways. He's not going to get a two-game suspension. So it won't ultimately matter for Rutgers purposes. And no Wisconsin players are getting suspended. But it's an ugly incident, and the Big Ten is on the spot with how they handle this today. There's no question.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Jerry, because there, there are two ways to react. And you wonder if it's something where they rally around their coach and they come to the defense of their coach that they appreciate – at least in their eyes, that he's standing up for them, that he's fighting for them. You even saw, like you said, as bad as it might look, players throwing punches as well during this whole scuffle. So you wonder how they react. And and like we've mentioned, Jawan Howard has had success, uh, some success since he's come to be the Michigan head coach. He had a good team last year. Uh, They're on the bubble this year, but you wonder how the players do react to this, if they're embarrassed or if it's something that they rally around, well, we're,
1: we're going to find out.
0: We're going to find out. Cause Rutgers is, is getting a team that they don't really know what to expect. They'll have an interim head coach and Phil Martelli, a guy who's had plenty of success. You might remember him from his time at St. Joe's outside of Philly. Uh, We'll see what kind of team Rutgers gets, but as for the Scarlet Knights, let's keep our hands to ourselves for the rest of this episode and talk about them. Another huge win over Illinois. They go into an impossible environment really yesterday uh, Sunday at Purdue and they lose there. Finally, they lose to a ranked opponent, but Chris Rutgers really setting themselves up uh, some discussion. I know Jerry will want to get into it. If they should be ranked coming this week, but a successful run for the Scarlet Knights and now with Michigan and Wisconsin coming up on the schedule.
3: Yeah, Ryan, I mean, look, what Rutgers has done, and we spoke about it last week and, it, and just really continued. I mean, what they've done is is incredible. I mean, you know, you look at they were the first college basketball team, unranked college basketball team in history to beat four consecutive ranked opponents. That's that's quite an accomplishment, especially considering the way that this crazy up-and-down, all-over-the-place season has gone. And as I said earlier, there's no shame in going to Purdue and losing at Mackey Arena. I mean, just looking on at watching on TV – it seemed like a crazy environment. Steve Pico remarked after the game how loud it was that no one could really hear Paul Mulcahy. Um, just an incredible atmosphere, and Purdue is really good. I mean, Jaden Ivey might be the top guard taken in the draft. He's outstanding. Uh, so there's no shame in that. And Rutgers wasn't going to win every game the rest of the way. So, you know, you lose to Purdue. That, that's a, and they played well for the most part. I mean, that was after, you know, that late in the first half when they kind of had that, you know, bit of a meltdown there with, uh, you know, Cliff Amori. Om- uh getting the tech and then you know we had a couple missed dunks so that kind of opened up a run for Purdue and the Boilermakers kind of held control for the rest of the game but you know listen another big week coming up more opportunities you know Rutgers still has a little bit of work to do to get back into the you know you know really secure its bid but just the fact that it's standing in this spot and what it was able to do last week and and it's it's remarkable so they deserve a ton of credit but another big week now and it's, it's all about moving forward
1: yeah, I, I voted for them in today's my top 25 ballot today. I don't think they're going to be ranked, though. Uh, I gave them credit for the for them being one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Unprecedented accomplishment. But uh, they're probably not going to be ranked. Most voters look at the entire resume, which is fair. Uh, and certainly I wanted to bring up Rutgers' net, which is 80. It fell four spots. It actually slipped four spots from 76 to 88. They're not getting in the NCAA tournament with a net of 80. It's not happening. So, you know, Rutgers will win a couple games. And I think they got to win two. Preferably, not one of them's not you know, uh, uh, Penn State at, at home is that's not going to move the needle for you probably. So they probably got to win two out of the next three. They could beat Penn. They, one of them could be Penn State. They might have a little work to do in the Big Ten tournament. But really, you want ideally they win two out of the next three, and that puts us to bed. And don't leave it to that last Penn State game, which I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how much that would move the needle. Um, Rutgers net is eighty, and there's a lot of frustration on Rutgers fans as as far as far as the net's concerned. As there the should be. Well, the net is 80 because the, the net is weird, and you don't have to like it, and I don't really like it that much. But everybody knew, all the coaches knew what the net was, and a coach like Kevin Willard, I said this last week, schedule accordingly, schedule accordingly to maximize the net. Seton Hall's net is 36 because Willard only played two teams above 300 in the net rankings, only played two really bad teams. And Steve Peichel scheduled six of those teams and lost to one of them. So I mean that's that's it. Those things have their repercussions. Like who you beat and who you lost to, how, how they fare has a huge impact on your net. So Rutgers, not it's not just the Lafayette loss that's an anchor on this team. It's this the scheduling. The 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 NCAA tournament committee for for years has made it clear you must schedule up. We will look at who you schedule. It matters who you schedule, and the, they designed a net to punish teams high majors who scheduled badly, and Steve Peichel scheduled badly, and his team is being punished. That's what's happening here. You don't have to agree with it, but that's why the net is functioning like it is with Rutgers.
0: Exactly. Like you said, Jerry, I mean, anyone who's watching the Scarlet Knights team knows that the team that they've seen the last week, isn't that team that lost to Lafayette, but they lost to Lafayette this season. And that's, that's a killer for them in and the, and the schedule they had, even the wins they had over some of the teams early on in the season. Here it is at the end of the season now, continuing to hurt them. And, and we'll see what the Scarlet Knights are able to do. They need to just keep their head down. They can't worry about what happened in December and, and November or whatever it might be. And yeah, they're not going to worry
1: it. about it, but I, no. I, we have to worry about it because we're trying to right. project what's going to happen here. And what happened then is they didn't play anybody. So, like, the, you're paying for that now. So, I don't I don't agree with the way the net's designed. It's weird. It's funky. It's stupid in a lot of ways. Like, I know Steve likes him more than I do, and that's fine. We can have different opinions on it. But the bottom line is, like, they all these Steve Michael knew what it entailed, and he's still scheduled that way. So, that's why Rutgers is right now battling to get
3: in to sneak into the NCAA tournament. So beating four ranked opponents and, and having six quad wins, when how does that – and I agree with you, Jerry. I agree with what you're saying completely, but it's just unbelievable and it's kind of a flaw in the system. What point does your early season stumbles get kind of washed – I don't want to use the term washed away, but for lack of a better term, washed away? Exactly. I mean, when do you make up for that?
2: I totally agree with that, Chris and Jerry good on you for putting them in the top 25 this week, because quite honestly, they are playing. There has to be a balance between, you know, your total resume and how you're playing now. And Rutgers needs to be considered seriously considered for the top 25, the way they're playing right now, they're playing like a top 25 team, you know, and, you know, listen, if, if, if they can, if they can take care of business in the coming weeks, if Steve Pykal is not seriously considered for Coach of the Year in the Big Ten, then they, that's a that's a major problem.
1: Well, um, he should be. You're right. You're right, Steve. He should be well in the mix. You know, Greg Gard's going to be in the mix too. Uh, we're going to see. The, the The Big Ten has really kind of ignored Rutgers a lot. I mean, he hasn't. Won, Steve Pykal hasn't won the award yet. You know, he built the program from the ashes. The Big Ten has really ignored Rutgers. Uh, you know, this is going to test that. You're right. I think he, I think he, if it was to vote was today, it would be him for me.
0: And as we said, two wild cards coming up for Rutgers at Michigan Wednesday. We'll see what their team looks like. And then home against Wisconsin on Saturday, the Scarlet Knights just need to keep piling up wins to build their case. As for Seton Hall, they have a loss at UConn. They win at home against DePaul. They have Butler coming up on Wednesday and at Xavier on Saturday. Jerry, the the, the Seton Hall Pirates just kind of keeping pace, you know, nothing exceptional nothing bad just kind of maintaining their spot where they are
1: They're treading water you know nets 36 uh tre- not treading water is not the, probably not the right term they're holding serve nets 36 you know they're they're in the field they're a nine seed right now they got to win their home games they should beat butler wednesday butler's not terrible but you know you have them at home you should beat them they didn't look good against DePaul. paul played a lousy game big part of that as we found it afterwards was Kadari richmond the point guard was very ill Okay, almost didn't play. was taking IV fluids, you know, right leading up to tip-off almost. Uh, so it hurts. I mean, Seton Hall's had a tremendous amount of bad luck. Bryce Aiken, who was the star player for them for the first half of the season, I don't think he's going to make it back. It looks like it's not happening. Kevin Wood has said he won't be back. He just hasn't overcome the concussion. So they're going to have to figure it out without him. What I've said, what I've been saying to people is, Willard designed this roster without Bryce Aiken in mind. I mean, Aiken was the last guy to sign on. You know, in May, after everyone else had committed, transferred in, left, Miles Kale announced he was returning. So, like, Willard put this team together without Aiken. So, Aiken was a bonus. He he played really well. They were really reliant on him, and they've now been we, weaning themselves off that reliance. So, to me, I think, and I wrote this too, I think the key for Seton Hall, I, I don't think Seton Hall's ceiling is totally capped by Aiken being gone. A, a lot of people will disagree. Uh, the key for Seton Hall is, can Kadari Richmond progress enough in time to make Seton Hall really a threat to do something in March? Willard has a history of his point guards getting a lot better over the course of a season, and it's not always linear. But Richmond is charting that path; like he's getting a little better each game. He's getting more comfortable. He's getting the time that he wouldn't have gotten if Aiken was in the, was playing. So, and Shamir Harris, who's you know his is sort of his. Uh, the backup point guard now is also a good shooter. It's also getting more time and is also playing better. So so the one door closes, another opens, and I feel like if Richmond can sort of hit that accelerator the way kind of Paul Mulcahy, he did for Rutgers uh, last month, uh, over the last month, it could change Seton Hall's trajectory. So I don't think their their hope is lost without Aiken. They're going to make the tournament either way, most likely, barring a collapse, but I feel like if Richmond can make that leap that we've seen other Willard point guards make during the course of a season before, then Seton does have a chance to be dangerous. So we'll see. And that's that's kind of where the focus is going to be. They they have to win their two home games. They should, and they get in the NCAA tournament. But can they do something? All eyes on Kadari Richmond. The guy's got a lot of talent, but he's got a lot to learn, and he's been learning if you're watching closely.
0: Absolutely. They need to, to gel and get a little bit sharper because, you know, a, a win at home against DePaul, if you're kind of not playing your best game, you can kind of squeak by with that. But they're certainly going to have to dial it up a little bit more this coming week. And, and, and they're, they're capable of time. it. Ca- a- I mean,
1: they, they, they throttled Creighton. Creighton is play- is red hot. Mm-hmm. They they run Creighton's neck. So, I mean, this team is capable of it. They, you know, they play a great game at Villanova. A tremendous game Had Villanova on the ropes with a minute left. This team has it in them. But they do have to be more consistent, and that's, I think a lot of that is with Richmond and also with Jared Roden, who is, you know, the most experienced player who was at 18 points and 18 rebounds against Paul. I mean, 6'5", hit 18 rebounds. So if he's playing like that, if Richmond takes the lead, Seton Hall will be a tough out over the next few weeks.
0: They have Butler Wednesday and Xavier Saturday for the Pirates. As for our mid-majors in New Jersey, Monmouth, they have Siena coming up on Tuesday. A good one against St. Peter's on Friday. Then they go back on the road to play Siena again. So kind of a home-and-home split with St. Peter's in the middle there. Princeton, they have a home-and-home with Harvard Friday and Sunday. And then St. Peter's, like I said, they have Monmouth and then Niagara on Sunday. Uh, this past week, Princeton, they were 2-0 and with a big win over Yale. They're back on top of the Ivy League. Monmouth with a home win against Ryder. St. Peter's, they go 1-2 and two on the week. Steve, in the MAC and the Ivy League, what stood out to you this past week and what are we looking forward to for the upcoming schedule?
2: Well listen I think the the biggest takeaway from from the week is Shavar Reynolds and his return from a shoulder injury for Mammoth really hammered home how important he is for that team 17 points 6 assists against Ryder. Uh, He had the ball in his hands at the end of the game. He made a tough driving bank for what turned out to be the game-winning points. A healthy Shavar Reynolds gives Mammoth fan hope because Mammoth is a very dangerous team with him. Uh, You just take a look at their Iona games this year. You know, with Shavar, they had Iona beat. If they just made their free throws in the final minutes of regulation, they end up losing in overtime. Without Shavar, they had no chance against Iona. Um, Steve, what do
1: you think of Shavar as a player, as a guy, as a teammate? Like You've watched him really closely this season. What do you think of him and how he's adjusted to the Mac and how he works with King Rice and his teammates?
2: Well, I, I think he has flourished in King Rice's system because King trusts him and just says, look, you're our guy. Go do your thing. We're going to put the ball in your hands, and we trust that the offense, everything is going to run smoothly right through you. And I think that has given him so much confidence. Uh, and, and listen, they have plenty of guys that can score, And but when Shavar is added to that mix, scoring 15 a game, dishing five or six assists and has the ball in his hand in the end game. This is a different team. I think in terms of a teammate, he's been great. They have some younger guards and Shavar, particularly Miles Ruth has taken them under his wing and really tried to show them the way and, and get them to improve. And I think that was another big reason for King Rice to bring him there was to have Shavar around their younger players. So I think it's just been a huge win for Mammoth, and, you know, We'll see how it goes down the stretch here. But I think, again, just having him back is going to be huge for Mammoth. For Makes them very dangerous. Now they have Siena coming in on Tuesday, St. Peter's on Friday. Those teams are both – just ahead of Mammoth in the standings. Those are huge games, and you know, I I, I just think there's so much for Mammoth to play for right now. You know, they have a, they have a path to like a 22-23 win season. And let's face it, for a mid-major program, if you're doing it right, you're taking it you're taking it on the chin in your non-conference schedule. So a 20 win season for a mid-major program that's a big deal. You know, it doesn't happen that often. And you know, I I, I think if Mammoth if Mammoth goes 23 and 12 or whatever it is and, and loses to Iona in the, in the Mac final, you know, people will, uh, Mac, well, my, people will say, well, you know, they didn't get to the big dance, but you know what? That's, that's a thing. You can hold your head up high for that season, Monmouth, Monmouth and they should, and maybe they do get to the NIT. Um, I want to say,
1: Steve, I think, I think Monmouth is the only team in the Mac that can beat Iona in a one-off you know, winner-take-all setting. I think Monmouth has the firepower. You have to outscore Iona. You're not holding this team to 50 points. I think Monmouth has the firepower. to make, I'm not saying they will. I think they're the only team that could.
2: Listen, they, they lost 86-85, right, to, to Iona right. in their first meeting. They they can do it, and, and they need Shavar in there. Now, with all that said, <laughs> the team that no one wants to play right now is Marist, and that is our old friend John Dunn. John Dunn. He is unbelievable. They have won five straight, right? They have moved into fifth place right behind Mammoth, and they have beaten Mammoth by 36 and 25 points this year. So that is not good for Mammoth because if Mammoth cannot move up to the two or three spot and Marist continues to win, and they have a path to win eight straight, legitimately, a legitimate path to eight straight wins going into the MAC tournament, Mammoth would have to play them in the quarterfinals. So you know, there's there's a lot at stake there and and it will be very interesting to see. And and a mammoth uh, only game would be would be very interesting.
1: John Dunn, former uh, St. Peter's head coach, yeah. former Seton Hall, Seton Hall assistant under Lewis Or. I want to just say one more thing about Shavar Reynolds, Steve, and that is you know, Seton Hall could really use him now, man. Right. I mean, Seton Hall Seton Hall would be a different team if Reynolds was was complementing Kadari Richmond. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh basically what what you said about King Rice and the opportunity he really handing the keys to Reynolds that's that's why Reynolds is there. You know, he, he 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 his role at Seton Hall was going to be reduced to like a 10 minute a game guy or less, you know, with Bryce Aiken if he ever stayed healthy. But he was going to be just as a role player again. He had the chance to run his team. You can't blame him for, for moving on and you know like Seton Hall fans are smart. They know that Shavar did what Shavar had to do that it was a situation where he was going to flourish. And Seton Hall fans, all of them, all of them are rooting for Shavar. They're all Mammoth fans over the next couple of weeks because they, they they love the kid and they know how much he meant to Seton Hall and how much he can mean to a team. So it's just a great Jersey storyline as we head down the stretch. Shavar's unparalleled rise from unrecruited to, you know, an all-Mac type player, uh, and it's going to be fun to watch. And I know that even though Seton Hall fans miss him, they will be tuning in to Mammoth's games in the MAC tournament.
0: Home versus Siena on Tuesday. Home against St. Peter's on Friday. And then back at Siena on Sunday for Mammoth. Before we wrap up, too, I just want to mention Princeton because this is something that you talked about last week, Jerry. First off, they win at Brown. They win at Yale, the team just behind them in the Ivy League standings. So they are in first place. They have a home-and-home home coming up. Friday, home against Harvard, Sunday at Harvard. Harvard currently fourth place in the Ivy League. We said how huge this is because the Ivy League tournament taking place on Harvard's home court. So this is an opportunity for Princeton, who currently sits at first place in the Ivy League, to completely wipe away any home court advantage that might come from having Harvard in the Ivy League
1: tournament. Here's how good Princeton is, okay? Princeton goes up to Yale and beats the Ivy League leader when Princeton's best player, point guard Jalen Llewellyn, shoots one for nine, he's got four fouls, he scores four points. Princeton still beats Yale by six. Princeton just has, they have four guys, five probably players, all five starters can beat you. I mean, they shoot the lights out, they yep. shoot well from three, they execute so well. It's just a joy to watch them play. They had 19 assists on 29 buckets at Yale. I think Princeton's going to win the Ivy League. You never know what's going to happen in a 14th tournament. I think Princeton is going to represent New Jersey in the big dance. And you you have the possibility of getting three or four New Jersey teams in the March Madness for the first time since 1991.
2: I, I, I totally agree on Princeton. And and I, just from a mammoth perspective, I mean, they won at Cincinnati. Quite honestly, their signature win was a double-digit win over Princeton this year. And that was the best win of the year. That, that says I a lot.
0: Yep. It should be interesting, and and not only do the Tigers have a great chance to to get into the dance, I think they can make a little noise in there too. We've seen it throughout the Princeton program history that they can be giant slayers from time to time, so they just have a little bit more work to do to get there, but they're certainly looking like a very, very strong team As March is just around the corner, things, of course, starting to get very interesting here. That's going to wrap up Episode 9 of Jersey Jump Shot. Again, visit NorthJersey.com and APP.com to read everything that Jerry, Steve, and Chris are writing about college hoops here in the Garden State. Of course, tell your friends if you like what you hear. Tell them to subscribe on their favorite podcasting platform. And we cannot wait to come back and talk to you next week for Episode 10. We shall see what happens this week. Thank you again for listening to Jersey Jump Shot. For Chris, for Steve, for Jerry, I'm Ryan. We'll talk to you next week. Jersey Jump Shot is a production of the Asbury Park Press and USA Today Network. Subscribe at app.com.